This week's episode I call The River, The Stars, and The Stories. Stories about rivers are as common as, well, rivers. Water saturates our every cell, and some say, like the tides, we are affected by the moon. I am no Mark Twain or Joseph Conrad, and while my river was not as sweeping as the Mississippi or as foreboding as the Congo, it had lessons to teach me. How we came to the river is the stuff of stories. It was the mid-70s, and the movie Deliverance should have cautioned us away from the trip down the river, but we didn't listen. We arrived at the Catawba's Edge from different paths, a businessman, an administrator, a principal, a coach, a psychologist, and a teacher. Two brought their teenage sons. We came together to challenge ourselves and to slake our thirst for adventure. I believe that we planned the trip in the late evening of a pig picking. Dan Jones and I were talking about whitewater rafting. Add a few friends, several beers, and much bravado, and an adventure began to take life. When summer warmed the Catawba, we would rent canoes from Jesse Brown Outfitter in Charlotte and spend three days on the river from the old Canawa Spratt Memorial Bridge between Fort Mill and Rock Hill to Springs Park near Great Falls, a trip by land of about 40 miles. We borrowed cooking pots and utensils from Boy Scout Troop 108 and everyone scrounged for personal gear. Lightweight tents, individual mess kits, Changes of clothes, ponchos, and sleeping bags served for each of us. We all carried hunting knives because that's what men do. I was in charge of first aid. They had to put me in charge of something. With the planning done and our gear gathered and stowed, we slid the canoes into the water just below the bridge on Highway 21, across from the old Selenese pump house. The Catawba, all the way to the state park at Lansford Canal, was undeveloped and a haven for wildlife. Here and there we would scare up a flock of mallards or a lonely wood duck. Sometimes a great blue heron would look up from his patient fishing to watch us pass. The water release from Wiley Dam kept the river at a good level for the trip, allowing us time to safely maneuver through the rocky water. In the early afternoon, we arrived at Lansford Canal and sensibly put in our canoes at the state park just as we could see the water begin to churn over the shallow rapids. We took our sandwiches from the cooler and sat at park tables for lunch. A friend drove the truck with the canoe carrier to meet us at the park. We planned to portage the canoes around the rapids to a camping area and resume our journey where the white water calmed after its clash with the rocks of the nation forward. That was the plan. But life, again like a river, sometimes sets a new course. Eddie Weldon was a coach by profession and motivator by nature. He scratched his chin, not yet stubbly from the journey, and decided that someone should brave the rapids. I had, in the past few years, sat around campfires with Eddie and had fallen victim to his confidence. I was inclined to follow him at least to the gates of hell, if not right on through. I was in. We loaded the canoes onto the carrier, leaving out just one canoe for our adventure. Eddie and I made much of adjusting our life jackets and looking at possible lines through the rocky rapids. Finally, after much pointing and not a little posturing, we were ready. 
a small crowd of park visitors had gathered to watch us launch from a calm area beside a couple of big oaks at water's edge. As I held the canoe for Eddie to settle in the front and began stepping into the back, I could hear Tom Thomason telling the spectators that we were experienced and not to worry because we knew what we were doing. At my signal, Jim Roundtree tossed me the drag line. We eased out of the calm and caught the current, which pushed us directly into some low-hanging limbs. Like some claw of karma, these limbs dragged us out of the canoe and we were swept sputtering into the water. I managed to hang on the canoe, but not to my dignity. Like a couple of wet kittens, we shamed our way back to the bank for a less hopeful restart. Again, we pushed off, and this time, thankfully, were out of sight before we found another opportunity for misadventure. The river was shallow, and we had to get out on the rocks occasionally to set the canoe down on the other side of a small cascade. At one point, Eddie stood on one slippery rock holding the bow, and I stood across the flow from him holding the stern. When we put in the canoe, the force of the water against the side threatened to pull us both in. I came to the realization before Eddie did and yelled, let go. It'll pull you in, the current's too strong, he yelled back. Let go. I must have sounded more forceful this time because Eddie released his end. The canoe, obeying the law of least resistance, swung around with the current and I was able to hold it easily. I breathed a sigh of relief and we climbed back in to continue our ill-conceived journey. The rapids were more furious than we anticipated and twice more we were upended and had to clamber back aboard. Soaked, a little banged up, and a lot less self-assured, we finally cleared the rapids. The water slowed and calmed and we breathed a sigh of relief. We had, despite our difficulties, made it through the white water and no one had seen our mistakes. We don't have to tell everything, Eddie said. We were drifting easily looking for the campsite when Eddie called, rock straight ahead. I've got it, I said, it's just one rock. I used the paddle to steer and correct our course a little. Rock, said Eddie, more forcefully now. I've got it, and again I tried to right our course. I didn't got it. We hit the rock head on, and the canoe, heavier at the stern because I seriously outweighed Eddie, rode up the rock and tipped us out again. We came up, both holding the canoe. From the bank on the right came gales of laughter. We had found the campsite and there was no hiding our last mishap from our friends. It is possible to be proud and humbled at the same time. We had come through the rapids and we were washed in the blood warm water. We had a story to tell around the campfire and we had an audience of ready listeners. A communal meal of rice and canned chicken, plus a healthy splash of Tabasco sauce filled us up, and a flask of old charter might have made its way around the fire. We talked as we watched the flames die down. One by one, we surrendered to the night and made for our tents. The sun chooses wake-up time for campers, and we were up at six. After a cold breakfast of cereal, we were on our way downriver. Past the rapids, the river seemed to grow lazy, and we took our time, occasionally coming ashore to let the boys swim a little or to eat lunch and tell stories of other adventures. In the late afternoon, we spotted a small island about the size of a baseball diamond. 
We beached the canoes on high ground to prevent them floating away if the water rose and claimed the island as our own. Exhausted from the day, we cooked hot dogs on sticks and everyone turned in early. I awoke and dressed before dawn on that darkened island. Something drew me to a clearing where the trees opened to a star-rich sky. It seemed as I stood there that I was alone with all the stars in that black sky and the sounds of the impatient river. I was, for that moment, part of the land and the river and the sky. It was one of those instances when the universe pulls aside the curtains and opens its wonders to us. Those times are both short-lived and everlasting. The rustle of movement at the campsite brought me back to the world. The campfire had died down to a few glowing coals, and Tom Spratt was guiding the younger boys to gather firewood so we could get the coffee pot going. We would begin the most remote part of our journey early. Tall pines and hardwoods lined the banks, and now and then a bald eagle or an osprey would fly over, scanning the water for a meal. It was the last of our solitude before the river slowed its pace at Fishing Creek. We paddled across the lake and put ashore at Springs Park late in the afternoon of the third day. We were three days dirty, but we came ashore like we were the first explorers to step onto the American soil. We had subdued the river, and we'd not heard the first banjo along the way. As with many journeys, our stories grew over the years as we retold them over beers and campfires. I never told about the morning and the stars. Real men don't mention that stuff. <laughs>